Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. This week, the story is about a, a rare season of unanimity among Star Wars fans. So often, we have returned from the holiday season having digested our annual portion of new content and having discussed it ad nauseum, talked about it maybe too much, sometimes disagreeing about what worked and what didn't work, and occasionally even having our own minds changed for the worse. But as we begin 2021 with The Mandalorian Season 2 freshly behind us, uh, the outlook remains overall very positive, thank God, which is why this week we are counting down our top six favorite things about Mando Season 2. Uh, Ross, in the past when we've kept the theme really broad, uh, as we are doing this week, um, we've had different approaches to to the detail that we decided to incorporate on our selections. So how did you go about breaking down your picks for this list? Uh, so for this list, uh, I really... <coughs> Sorry about that. Uh, so for this list, uh, I really kind of looked at it as the the highlight reel for the season and so it the things that i'll remember the most uh the top moments so i really did treat them as uh moments from the story i didn't necessarily view it i know you and i chatted a little bit before uh in the same light as you uh i could have taken that light but it was just not my first interpretation of the task and so uh i ventured forward with my first interpretation uh and also focusing specifically uh, on this on the story and the characters which is generally what i do um and in that same vein i i kind of distilled each uh, highlight uh, a little bit further down into, of course, why I liked it, but also kind of its its winning moment as well, uh, the the maybe ultimate thing that pushed it over the edge. Uh, for me, it was really hard. I had uh, seven um, major ones, and so uh, in the honorable mentions, I'll give a little extra shout out to the the one that uh, was on my list the, the entire time. Um, it might have been the first one I wrote down. Um, but ultimately got bumped down to, to number seven uh, in favor of uh, some other ones. But uh, it was such an easy uh, list to prepare in the sense of having things to choose from. Um, it would have been extremely easy to do. Um, well, I shouldn't say extremely easy because I don't know if there were six bad things in total, but what I'm saying is it would have been really easy to kind of just go through uh, and like see, find those kind of couple things. But with so much that you love, it's kind of hard to like you don't want to leave something out or, or, or outrank something because you loved it all. Um, but that's not really what this is about. And so overall, it was uh, just fun to go through all of the highlights and the fact that there were so bloody many of them. And it just shows you that this is uh, the right way to tell Star Wars stories so you can tell full stories. Well, I, I agree with most of what you said, except for that um, there are very few episodes in a season of television in 2020. And there aren't that many minutes in a single episode, in particular in The Mandalorian. They're not uh, epic long episodes, and that's good. But what that generally means is that only one or two big things happens per episode. And where there's only episodes per eight episodes per season, there's only going to be 10 or 12, 15 at most, like notable things that happen in a season. So if the season is overall good, you can surmise that the hit ratio is pretty heavy. It's pretty strong. Um, mm. and, and there were very few uh, down moments in season two Mandalorian. But what I kind of determined is that once you isolate the very best ones, they're very likely most people's favorite ones. And then it's just kind of a game of rearranging 
them to your particular uh, satisfaction. And what's more, uh, you might just be doing uh, your top six favorite episodes. Now, I've got a couple of installments on my list that uh, come from the same episode, but overall, I kind of cover the whole season. And we agree that the Spider episode, episode uh, uh, 10, uh, chapter 10, uh, episode 2, it's probably the the least interesting episode of the season, but I even hesitate to call it the worst because I still think it was good. So it's not going to turn up in in my in my top six at any point. But that only leaves seven more episodes to discuss in the six uh, installment list. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I 100% understand what you're saying, and so I I I think we are in full 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 agreement. I don't think we disagree on anything. I I, I fully agree with you. Um, and I, I think maybe uh, it'll be interesting uh, because um, based on the way you described that there, maybe we did interpret the task a little bit more similarly, similarly than I initially thought. But in that same vein, um, I definitely think I viewed it more granularly than you, even okay. outside of maybe my distilling uh, things down into a particular moment. Um, because, I mean, even still in that vein, I have um, I have easily... I easily have 15 um, things here that I could that I could have put on a list, uh, right. no problem. And that was quick. And those were like the big standouts. So I felt like if, if you had pr- pressed me to make a top 20, I could have done it. And I guess it's just a matter of how granular you look at things. And so I think um, we can maybe uh, kick things off uh, with that. Um, and if you want to kind of go first and, sure. uh, and, and say what your number six thing was, and we can really see how we interpreted this as opposed to beating around the bush. Right. So my sixth favorite thing from Mando season two is, in fact, pretty granular. It's a, it's a moment in the final episode of the season when Din removes his helmet for the second time this season. So Din the Mandalorian, of course, removes his helmet uh, twice in this season, three times overall so far in the series. In this season, it was once because he had to, just to get out of a jam. He had no other choice. He had to kind of put his his internal um, code aside. The second time, I guess, simply put, he took it off because he wanted to, to have uh, an affectionate moment with this creature that he loves. As I mentioned when we discussed the season finale a couple of weeks ago, Pedro Pascal's acting uh, against uh, a lifeless puppet is really special. And it's true that it's easier because the technology is good and millions of dollars went into creating this incredibly lifelike puppet. Yes, we all believe on some level that Grogu is real. Uh, credit to the creators. But Mando has always felt really connected to to Grogu. In this particular instance, the heartbreak on his face, realizing he might never see Grogu again, is so sincere and spectacular. See, Disney loves to make us cry. I watched Pixar's Soul over Christmas. Mm. Uh, and I'm kind of at the point now where like, I love to let them make me cry because more often than not, they come by it pretty honestly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, won't, I have more to, I can certainly talk about this a little bit later on. It, it shares, I guess, kind of in the way we view this task, it, it shares certain elements of things that I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about. But this moment's incredible. It's just the, in particular, the acting from Pedro Pascal, uh, something I didn't pick up on, um, but has been pointed out to me uh, and is very noticeable when you watch the scene again. Uh, in particular, the the mask, when he puts it down, it's facing away from him. Oh, wow. Uh, for kind of further emphasizing uh, the, the, the choice that he's making uh, and how easy it is for him. It's not an instance where he's hesitating. I mean, he and everything else, or like, better yet, I'll die before I let a robot see, or a droid see my, uh, see my face. Um, whereas it's, 
he doesn't really care about everybody, anybody else even being in the room. And the fact that you only get a couple shots of Pedro's face all season, uh, it it makes I mean it makes a huge huge difference. Uh, the kind of of course the the emotional relationship with them. I'm I'm not sure if you have a ton else to say uh, as you have a, a a clean transition into mine. If you want to go with that, yeah, you go right ahead. This is probably going to motor pretty quickly because we're talking about like momentary things, and we've sure. we've very recently dissected the season. But you go right ahead. Yeah, well, my number my number six uh, is in particular the cafeteria confrontation. Uh, and so, uh, it, the, the, I guess I put in here the, the winning moment being, uh, the shared glances between, uh, Bill Burr and, uh, and Pedro Pascal and the way that they have those, just the subtleties in their acting, uh, the glances that they share back and forth in particular, uh, just Din, how uncomfortable he is, uh, not having his helmet on and having just everything out in the line and Mayfeld playing fast and loose, uh, the acting uh, from uh, the guy uh, from Game of Thrones, uh, the, he played the character of Valen Hess, who was talking about Operation Cinder and Burning Khan. And it was it was just such a good scene. The acting was sensational. It was in a cafeteria. It was like it was as if Han and Luke had turned like down the wrong way on the Death Star with Chewie as a prisoner. And they ended up in the cafeteria and they bumped into some guys and they're like, Hey, TK421, come there, come, come have lunch with us. And it's just like, it, it just, it's like the ridiculous kind of curveball that, that could happen. It makes complete sense. And so I just, I, I really loved the way that it was a classic trope of Star Wars, but with this total new twist. And it was an acting clinic from a character who we've seen grow an absurd amount uh, as we watched him closely in Din, but then also a character um, like Mayfeld, who is also showing that he's growing a lot as well, and that maybe just in general the kind of the relationship and the the two of them have. Uh, and then of course it ends with a funny little bit of just like, okay, shit, fuck, let's shoot everyone, <laughs> and then they got to get out of there. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and it and it is become such a tro- I don't even want to call it a trope because I think that kind of has a bit of a negative connotation. It's a tradition of Star Wars, yeah, to to infiltrate the bad guys area by wearing their their uniforms, and and in this case, um, they do kind of have to step up their lie just in order to blend in, and and Bill Burr actually really steals the scene, although everybody does a, a phenomenal job. I heard Bill Burr discussing this recently in, on his podcast, and he called Rick Famuyiwa one of the great badasses he's worked with in the business. And I thought that was... Yeah, I, I heard that as well, which is which is true. And they've got a great chemistry. And I think um, it makes sense for Favolo and Filoni, Fil- 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 to have a point person on every show as well. It seems like, because obviously Favreau is point person on Mando, uh, Filoni will be point person on Ahsoka. Uh, Rodriguez is going to be point person on Boca Boba Fett. Um, it would make sense to have a guy like Famuyiwa be um, kind of running anchor on something like Rangers of the New Republic, for example. And Do you so, think that we could see Burr on that show? I could see him being uh, like an informant, uh, someone who's out, uh, like who's kind of out on bail, but is working with the New Republic to, to kind of serve uh, to pay off his time. The exact same way that Horatio Sands's character uh, is working for Grief Karga. I think there's, but. Bill Burr is a trained sharpshooter, so he's going to be put on Suicide Squad type missions. Would be my guess. Um, maybe he's going to be uh, Carson Teva's. Um, like uh, he's going to be his uh, what's his uh, infra uh, his CI. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't I like know. That. Just something like that could be kind of cool. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Something I like about the cafeteria scene is that, and that whole sequence 
inside the base is that it it really mundanifies the empire as it exists right now. It almost reminds mm-hmm. me a little bit of the Adam Driver, Matt the janitor, uh, Kylo Ren sketch from SNL. Absolutely. Because it's just like, it makes everyone just like a boring paper pusher. And the fact that there is a cafeteria uh, shines such a hilarious light on the everyday of this like sinister organization that we've only ever seen represented by like giants and masks and, and, and but are also the other stormtroopers were like impressed by them because they actually survived as opposed to everybody else uh but then they're just completely shocked and they don't even know what to do they're just holding the tray and then bill burr shoots a few more um but they, i think that like when you have one person doing all the talking uh of course he's going to steal the scene but i think pedro i i mean he he's it's he only shows his face twice and the other one carries a lot of water, but I think this one deserves uh, more attention than maybe it's going to get a lot more attention that's going to get in retrospect. I think this this episode in general uh, won't um, maybe be talked about as being as good as it was. Okay, very good. All right, uh, my number five is another uh, cool guy one-off scene stealing heat checker, uh, and it's the casting in general of Timothy Oliphant in The Mandalorian. Um Alternatively, I think one of my biggest complaints about this season is that we didn't get enough of him, and I suspect we we probably will. We will get more Cobb Vanth in Star Wars to some degree. I said uh, several weeks ago when we talked about his episode, uh, he, Timothy Oliphant, kind of has like Harrison Ford 40 years ago kind of charisma. Uh, he's cool like in general, but he also fits the genre specifically well because of his his Western background, and also Star Wars is pretty welcoming to anybody who has his kind of... Uh, uh, well, charisma. Um, oh yeah, and in a season that features a lot of different law enforcement, this is something we haven't discussed uh, at length uh, in discussing Mando season two. Is there's all these different versions of police in this season, and he's the first one you get. His um, marshal or sheriff or whatever of a hard luck town, I think, is my favorite iteration in the season. He's this combined version of uh, like an action hero. He's got mm. action hero uh, elements, ingredients, and he's also got an everyman ingredient. Uh, and I think that's when Star Wars is at its best, when you can see yourself as the hero. Uh, you can pretend that you're him. And so that's why I think he's important in the franchise. Yeah, I think that was extremely well said. And I think you even, uh, I love the everyman aspect at the end there. Because yeah, he's wearing, a, he's wearing a sweater. Right. He's wearing a sweater and the Boba yeah. Fett gear doesn't fit that well. Um, neither does that helmet. It's just because it's just the way that, you have it. And so it's, uh, yeah, he looks cool. He is cool. Uh, he's got swagger and charm kicked off the season. Uh, so well, uh, the casting was great. And I do love the way that they portray him as an old school sheriff. Uh, and in, I was listening to, uh, an interview, um, with, um, Paul Sung Hoon Lee, who plays Carson Teva. And he was talking about how he was told that it was like playing a traffic cop uh, with the, also a bit of a U.S. marshal as well. Right. And so it was kind of interesting. And so Cara Dune is also a marshal. And so you're right. There's really all those kind of those blends. You've got the the Old West sheriff marshal, and then you've got kind of the the U.S. marshal, but also the sort of almost like a bounty hunter sort of uh police enforcer with Cara Dune and you've got like this traffic cop. And so it, 
maybe they will unite those in kind of a Rangers of the New Republic capacity, or maybe Cobb Vanth will come back in Book of Boba Fett because they have some form of shared history in the sense that Boba Fett knew where his armor was and didn't take it from him. And he's based on uh, Tatooine. And he's based on Tatooine and Boba Fett's back on Tatooine. And is Boba going to clean up Tatooine and Cobb will be an ally or will Boba be Boba of old and Cobb will be trying to take on the man who uh, he previously wore the armor of, but he now is completely bare. So I don't know how he could ever pull that shit off, but uh, remains to be seen. I would not expect that. I would not expect in a, show where you're supposed to root for Boba Fett for Cobb Vanth to be the antagonist though. That doesn't seem to work. No, that's not going to work, but they can be adversaries to it. If, if not like mortal enemies, they can kind of be adversarial yes. and, and it remains to be seen exactly how Boba struggled to get his armor back. He knew Cobb Vanth had it and with his martial arts skills, he could have taken it from him, whether he had Mandalorian armor or not. Uh, like you said, like the armor doesn't really fit him that well. And actually I think that's something that um, that Din views as a character flaw in Cobb Vant, that he would wear the Mandalorian armor even though he's not uh, entitled to it by Creed. It's actually very heroic that, that Cobb wears it because he knows he yeah. needs it to protect his people. At the end of the day, he's just looking out for his guys. And so he wears it because it makes him more formidable. And that's admirable. Yeah, he's a former slave. That's yeah. something I don't know if they would mention that in the show, but he certainly they said he grew up in Tatooine his whole life. It's he doesn't like he, he's just a small town guy and they, he's just trying to protect his people. Like they mentioned the school that they have to protect uh, and he doesn't like the Tuscans because they're raiders. Uh, but he's willing to clearly get over that because it's it's purely a matter of just perception and. And, and he's overall, he's a very good person and he honors his word and he gives back the gear. And so, yeah, it, it, he's, he fits in Star Wars. He was maybe number one on my list uh, for people I wanted cast in Star Wars. So uh, he was certainly up there and that was, that was great to see. It was the perfect fit for him too. Okay, your number five. Uh, favorite uh, thing. My number five will be right along those lines in terms of we just talked about uh, a bit of a martial artist and uh, a legend Proving his hype, proving the hype finally. And when Boba Fett puts the gear on and even really just in general, uh, the return of Boba Fett when he comes back for his armor, the way he destroys stormtroopers with the gaffy stick and uh, is just a complete total badass. Uh, and the way that they destroy those just it, it's a it's a it's a really just it's a it's a great scene uh, to have him come back and uh, we can chat about it a little bit further because I know you uh, you mentioned there that uh, but yeah well it's so nice to have a character that was so one dimensional and such a half character and then you get another half character version of him in Attack of the Clones to have him kind of really come together as one character uh, uniting kind of all these different eras and really making them feel worthy of all of the stories that are told and, and the badass look and uh and the knee darts it's it's some of the best fan service of all time yeah the, the reala- so realization cool. of boba fett absolutely is it my turn again uh yeah i'm not exactly sure how we want to go in, in the speed on some of these and uh just i've got some i'm gonna have a lot of things that are also pretty similar to some of the stuff you've even said as well but probably uh, it, yeah very likely uh you're gonna have some iteration of what i'll say next for my number four which is just the sequence between Ahsoka Tano and the Magistrate. Is that going to appear on your list at any point? This is my number four. No, no, it's not. Not specifically? Okay, well, let me just say my piece about it then. This episode um, 
was a very clear turning point for the season up to this point. I'd started to get a, like, a, although I'm enjoying myself a whole lot, I, I was notably getting a little bit restless with the formula. Uh, that was completely stripped away and we're, we're, we're brought um, toward this highly anticipated character who we were almost certain was going to turn up at some point. But, you know, that in itself is a little, uh, shall we say, nerve wracking. Um, Jedi action is brought back to us. Um, classic light side, dark side duel is brought back to us. Um, I think the magistrate on her own uh, is, is very cool. I'd be glad to see more of her character if it's necessary. The duel in its setting, uh, all of the, uh, like the, the Asian film um, aesthetic that they've imbued in this particular episode, and it ultimately leads up to the mention of, of Admiral Thrawn, is really what got me into a new level of pumped upness for this season overall. It kind of changed my tune entirely, and all of a sudden I was obsessed with The Mandalorian until it was done. Um, a- after the arrival of so many extended characters otherwise in the show so far, I think um, Ahsoka and Thrawn as well feel like we're finally in the big time. We're playing like big boy checkers. Um, and I barely knew who they were, and even I got to be that excited. And so uh, I think that that moment is really something to write home about. Uh, I'm super glad you talked you talked about it because it didn't make my list, but it's of course on the honorable mentions. Uh, just hearing Thrawn being mentioned was super awesome. Right. Uh, the the fight itself. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of it. Like I liked it. Uh, I think some people misinterpret it in thinking that Ahsoka wasn't completely toying with the magistrate. Um, I, I very much believe that the magistrate, I think there's about a 0%, maybe a 0.01% chance, give her that benefit of the doubt that she actually, um, could take been, Ahsoka. Like, yeah, t- took the lightsaber out of her hand other than Ahsoka was trying to hold back so much that when maybe I can understand that maybe she did fling it out of her hand and then Ahsoka decided, uh, to actually play fair because within five seconds after that the fight was over with her shadow so like i very much believe it was a toying with fight um but the fight itself didn't really stand out as much to me because the ahsoka versus maul fight from earlier in the year was bonkers good and one of the best fights in, in so long and so it was just it was it was a little bit different just in the sense that it didn't remind me as much of ahsoka sure and so that's that's really more so the way i saw it but it was just one of those things that of course, you can learn over time. Obi-Wan from Revenge of the Sith sure as shit doesn't fight like he does in A New Hope. And so it's one of those things that we haven't seen this character in a while. And so it wasn't, it's not something I see as an inconsistency or a problem, just not something that stood out to me as being like a, ma- a massive, massive highlight. But I love that you mentioned the aesthetic as well, because when you view all of the aspects, the fact that how they got there, the kind of the fact that Mando's outside doing his own little Western duel as well, uh, the entire Japanese influence. Uh, the the woods of, are really stylistic in that episode. In I was going to say the planet of Corvus and the atmosphere being green. I lost my mind. I love that. And the weird like dinosaur things in the background. Uh, so like all of like those three things right there, like the at, like the the style, the planet and like the and, and, and Ahsoka's opening shot where she's just taking out like I actually that would be um, when it comes to the action shots. That would be my favorite action shot of the, of the episode is, is when it opens up and with the with the sabers. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, just overall beautiful stylistically um, just yeah just and and also the conversation the one that she shares with Grogu uh, that's that's really powerful as well yeah yeah and, and, uh, and maybe, maybe in a way 
it, it is Corvus that I'm trying to to send up here in this moment because I just like like I said, and, I really I really felt like a that then. like a paradigm shift in this particular episode, and it really felt like some style was applied to it, and and I think that bodes well for um for Dave Filoni's uh, prospects as a live action director. You know, like he. He, if he wants it, he has to be given the opportunity to direct a Star Wars film, and and I, I would just be over the moon to see that. Uh, that's true, um, but I'm also at the I'm at a certain point where, and uh, I know some people uh, agree with me, but I'm also I'm a very different person to to you, and I'm also very different in the way I like to consume content as well. In the sense that I just fundamentally prefer television to to movies. Yeah, I and don't. I also, uh, I am I, I I think Star Wars. I, I just the way that you can flesh things out, I think it's really great on television. And so I don't necessarily think it's necessary. I think the way that Dave Filoni is getting something like Soka, but like you said, if he wants it, he 100% deserves the opportunity. I, I, I 100% agree with that. But I'm in absolutely zero rush because the storytelling that you can do with television, in my opinion, it, it it's 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 even more enriching. Mm. Uh, I mean, if you like. The, there's the, the crawl is one thing absolutely and there's there's absolutely a, a place for the star wars movie i will never not say that um but i i don't necessarily know if it's uh, uh I, I just i should i should i should be describing it as way more of a positive in the sense that it's just i i just i love the fact that there are so many other mediums that can allow people to to fully uh realize the star wars story that they want to tell and actually there's something i really want to get into later on that uh, just as kind of like a, a theory that I have that's just kind of fun. Yeah, I think I'm I'm just in, in terms of Star Wars, I'm still a theatricality purist, and um, you also I, love movies too. I love movies. I like movies more than TV, but I also like great television. And I don't think that Dave Filoni should stop being a great showrunner because he is one. Um, and, and also, he's very comfortable with the episodic. Uh, format which he's been doing for a long time um i would just like be so interested to see like if he's given the time like a couple years to work on one singular uh creation in one mixed down file like that would probably look really cool um is it your turn for number four or are we are we moving or did we skip one did you do four yet i just did four Okay, yeah. yeah, it would be my turn for number four. And yes, and under that circumstance, Colin, I 100% agree because if you view, and, and I adored like everything that I say on this list, but my favorite moment from Star Wars television this year is the last scene of The Clone Wars. Yeah. And as much, like, I, I, I adore this. I think The Mandalorian is the best thing we've seen in Star Wars since 1983. But it's just in terms of like, so, but the movie that he created with those last four episodes was sensational and you know that he's been working on that ever since the show was canceled and so you're a hundred percent right in the sense of being able to tell that distilled story it's going to be friggin' amazing and so <laughs> you're, you're such a you're such a star wars yearbook you like you have a superlative for every moment like my favorite star wars moment since 1983 is this but my favorite tv moment of the year was that and my favorite character everything is in some kind of top two for you you want to you want to give things their due i agree better to be positive yeah. Exactly. And so um, I was I haven't really uh, I, I didn't like we did talk about one half of this, but it was for none of the reasons uh, that uh, nine number four uh, is also Cobb Vanth. Yeah. Uh, and it's for all of the other reasons. And I didn't mention that any of them and you didn't really focus on any of them either, um, which is great. And it's because of his origin. And that's where it really kicks off. And the way you described how your 
uh, interest ramped up with that uh, episode with Ahsoka. My interest in this, like I was giddy just waiting for season two, but I was not expecting season two to like, like if you average out season one, I don't know, it's an eight and a half out of 10, but like season two is like almost like a, probably a bloody like nine or nine and a half out of 10. Like the fact that it's even improving and it kind of kicks that off right away with this like almost movie level episode, uh, but rooted from a character that comes from a book. And so it was such a, such an acknowledgement of everything else that's been worked on and all the other projects that have been done within the Star Wars canon and universe and an acknowledgement of the fans who had put the time into consuming those books. And there was no reason for that character to not be Cobb Vanth. And that way it worked perfectly. And the fact that you wanted to tell the story and bring in Boba Fett, uh, you could have gotten away with not having him be such an important character, but it was such an enriching part of that episode and it gave a strong backstory for the people who understood that and then it of course opened up to what the rest of the season was going to be and so it got me it, it after season one you're like okay we know that but the dark saber and that's gonna be like, okay well where are things going where's like what's grogu are his people the jedi or his people like the, the yoda species um but then things opened up a whole nother can of worms with this episode as the pen to potential. And then we see at the very end of the episode, you get to more Morrison. And so it was, it was such a great reveal to see the Boba Fett gear. And we, we kind of known beforehand, he was probably going to be Cobb Vanth. Um, but then to have that flashback and then to see the missile used, uh, it was just too badass in, in every way. The use of the missile was so awesome. Amazing. And yeah. that flashback lining up, really quite well with his uh, use in the aftermath book uh it, it was great but That's, yes of course he looked badass too and timothy oliphant was amazing <laughs> yeah i realize now that most of what i said was just like man crush stuff but i i co-signed everything that you said as well <laughs> well no but it would have it was like if we're just just talking about man crushing i'll throw that in my honorable mentions as well for yeah. timothy oliphant yeah uh, he was he was awesome but well, and, and what you just said is Kind of what I was trying to say uh, in their reference to Thrawn and, of course, Ahsoka as well. This actu- totally. this actualization of characters who otherwise have just been theoretical in, like, text. That's not the case mm-hmm. for Ahsoka. But it is for Thrawn for the most part. This is just, like, a big-time book character. And Cobb Vanth is not even a big-time book character. He's, like, a, a book no, character. No, he's a small-time book character. Yeah. Um, and Thrawn, like, that's something that I, before even seeing it, unless it's butchered, I can imagine will be right up at the top of my list for next season's one if he's indeed in next season uh or in season four whenever he finds his way into one of these shows um it's but just so co- mentioning cohesive. his name is just so exciting for the possibilities right. and what you get to theorize again it's cohesive that we it's just further strengthening the core of this singular universe and it's rewarding to fans and it's encouraging to people who who don't know about every little detail and it's i, I say this all the time but that's when star wars is at its best absolutely uh term for number three my turn yeah. okay this is uh we're just going to pick up on on what we we put a pin in a second ago and dis- yeah. discuss the reintroduction of Boba Fett a little bit further. This is probably the supporting character we ended up discussing the most this season. Um, I'd say so. And it's not just because he's he's cool and he's got like new scars and a bald head. It's not just because it's exciting that they brought back an actor who we've seen previously in Star Wars. The development of the character, this is what you were t- discussing as, uh, as well, um, mm. as this like, now he's this like 
brutal lone gunman warrior, not a gunman, I guess, but just this like this this scary guy who lurks in the shadows um, is the reala realization of of decades of fantasizing because up mm. to now he has only ever been this cool in our imagination. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. so to see him just like dummy those troopers uh, or don the armor, uh, fire off that rocket like you were just talking about with Cobb is is actually kind of meaningful. It's kind of poetic. Throw in that he's now got this like moral conscience where he actually kind of does believe in some version of right and wrong or that mm. he actually has genuine Mandalorian roots that we never knew about before. It's just all-time great fan service. Um, and in particular, I think the the Rodriguez episode is is maybe over time will come to be my favorite episode of the season. It was really, really excellent. Uh, and the way that he comes back and he's just, I'm here for the armor. Yeah. My armor. But yeah, I, like my winning moment is is the chain code element. It's the fact that like, like here, I'm here. Me, let me show you. And the fact that it's just, it's so steeped with um, canon and legends and it connects Django and Boba uh, and having him wear that armor, but be the different character, but be the same character. Um, I mean, later on, I mean, it's not the specific moment we're talking about, but the paint job is awesome too. Yeah, I know. Uh, That's true. I forgot about that one. Just the paint job itself. Totally. Uh, and also not in the same moment, but um, Slave One's gyroscope uh, and the use of the seismic charges. So his just general return, but in so many ways, everything just validating. And so if you've been a big Boba Fett fan your entire life, um, it's purely because of the fun you had playing with this action figure or your imagination. It was nothing you saw on the screen. No. Um, and so now you have something to finally go along with that. Um, and the rest of us can now have a new level of appreciation for this character who I think is, well, we know he's going to get more in the book of Boba Fett, but I think is also going to get more time in the bad batch as well. And so I think this is going to be a character who, uh, we are only starting to to learn more about and uh, is one that i mean i would i was i would never have been excited about the book of boba fett um but i certainly am now um and and that's great yeah yeah exactly and i i was kind of reluctant towards the idea of further exploring this character who already kind of seemed not resolved per se but like because we had incorporated him in with the mandalorian it seemed unnecessary to me to show more of him and then they gave us that you know amazing post credits scene and like it just felt so good that i'm kind of at a point where i'm not going to reject any ideas they have you know unless they're truly uh, uh unthinkable and, and nothing mm. like that is currently in the cooker so this is why i feel so optimistic about star wars in the next couple of years uh, boba fett's a big part of that he was a huge huge part of the fun of star wars this year yeah absolutely i mean it would have not been um i mean i we all knew he was going to be in the season, but and wouldn't have necessarily predicted. I never would have predicted he would have been in it this much. No, me neither. Yeah, he kind of became like a like a backseat a regular. Hero. Yeah, a regular. I know. Go figure. Yeah, and I will uh, mention right now uh, because I'm going to be shocked if either of us have it any higher because it's an honorable mention for me. Uh, but hung around with the awesome Fennec Shand all season, who was a, a solid honorable mention, and I'm very thrilled as part of the Star Wars universe uh, and will be in uh, two shows confirmed in Book of Boba Fett and Bad Batch. It's confirmed that she's going to be in Bad Batch as well? Yep. So you think that she's going to be like a regular supporting character in Book of Boba Fett? Yeah, I think so. Why I think not? Book of Boba Fett's also going to be just a, a one and done. I think I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be 
four to eight episodes. Interesting though that he's kind of decided to have this wrong, this right hand man or this like this co-captain in Fennec Shand, whereas he is also kind of a lone ranger, and that's what he was before. But he he seems to work pretty well with this character who I like. She's she's really cool, but I'd like to see a little more story from her. Definitely. And I think we'll get a good backstory in Bad Batch. Uh, Boba has worked with others in the past. He's worked with Bosk before. Um, and he was trained by Aura Singh. Uh, and he worked also like because he was I mean, orphaned pretty young. And so he was raised by a lot of other bounty hunters. Right. And so he worked in bounty hunting teams during the Clone Wars era. And also there was in a lot of legends and in like a video game, uh, Django had a right hand in Zam Wessel. Oh, that's and true. And so they're very much mirroring uh, that relationship with Fennec and, and also in the sense that it's a sharpshooter. Right, right. Okay, your turn for number three. Uh, my number three uh, would be uh, Mando returning the favor to Moff Gideon uh, with saying, you have something I want. Mm. Um, and it is just such a I, I know it's got a little bit of a of a taken uh corniness to it, it but does. it's just so great to see din growing as a character uh and this is the main character of our show this is somebody who this entire episode this entire series but this entire episode it's, it's, is about how much he's growing as a character uh and how much he's willing to change the way that he's approaching anything uh for grogu and he's not, and, and even Gideon confirms it in the next episode, assume I know everything. Uh, and so as a result of that, Din has kind of already assumed he knows everything. And he told him his name and Kara Cynthia Dune and that she was from Alderaan, like all these different things. And like, because of that, it's further proving how uncharacteristic what Din is doing is and how that's scary mm -hmm. especially seeing as everybody knows what a mandalorian is uh, the hype and the fear around mandalorians is not a small thing and it's something that's talked about and they talk about the jedi mandalorian wars and how really it's the only comparable um and even though later on we realize that's not so true because there's no comparable um but it really goes to sh like spark a little bit of fear in Gideon. Um, but it, it's just, uh, I love the moment uh, and I love him throwing his words back in his face um, when it really, like he has him cornered one time and then the other time he's up in his own space in the galaxy, but he's still able to, to get the job done and infiltrate. And so I love that scene. I know you find it a little bit corny, but I think it's, uh, I think it's great. It's, it, it is um, objectively corny. I, I, I don't, I don't have an otherwise issue with it. I think it's fun and it's a lot like Taken, which also pleases a lot of people. I, I'm just surprised that it's the, and I guess I don't know this for sure, but I'm, I'm surprised that it's the Moff Gideon installment on your list, who overall I kind of think is a bit of a, an anticlimax for this season. I don't hold it against uh, Giancarlo Esposito. I, I, I don't hold it against anybody because I don't think we're done with him yet. But I, I was most looking forward to seeing him mm. be the menace that I'm pretty sure he's capable of being. And we sort of fell short of that this season. Um, and in that particular moment, he is being made into the little guy, which is also fine because I'm rooting for for Din and I, I love nothing more than when he gets really serious about protecting Grogu. Um, I also am a little nitpicky as other people have been about the fact that he kind of just gives away the element of surprise in that moment, but it's fine because it's uh, the poetry of him 
saying Gideon's words back to him is very badass, and it sets up a really exciting final episode. So, so don't get me wrong. I I I like it a lot too. But it is yeah, corny. And, and in particular, the 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 replacement of it with he, and just yeah. the 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 emphasis of the the he means more to me and the the threat that goes along with that. Um, but also at the same time, the fact that Gideon held the cards last time and still kind of holds the cards, but Gideon was the one making the threat last time, and now Mando's the one making the threat. The crazy man making the threat with nothing left to lose is scary. Bingo. That's very true. So uh, you don't you don't have to elaborate, but is this your Moff Gideon installment on the list, or do you have more to come? Uh, this is my Moff Gideon installment on the list. Uh, another uh, excellent honorable mention, um, but uh, that is uh, that I have to say. But this is my Moff Gideon installment. So I'm assuming you have one more. No, I don't. I, I actually kind of. Oh, okay. That's my point. Is I kind of left him off my list because I was a little disappointed by his overall screen time. I like the lightsaber duel, but I thought it was too short. It was, and his best moment is right before the lightsaber duel. Yeah, yeah, it is. I agree with it's, that. It's the like the fit. It's the, the the conversation. Well, and then as well, the taunting after with the bloody mouth is also great. Although a good a good moment is mid season when you realize that they're doing some clone shit again. It's the ending portion of I forget which episode. Yes, with the dark troopers. Yeah, like that's a pretty great Gideon moment. That's true. I prefer the Snokes and tanks uh, in that episode yeah to the get to the dark trooper reveal okay um because at that point i was like there was still potential of those being connected uh and in the end the snooks and tanks is the more intriguing thing to me than dark troopers because that's not part of um i mean they were cool but not a particular thing that um i grew up on right the way right. some people did so my second favorite thing about mando season two was the reveal of grogu's name and his background with the Jedi. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, at Yeah, no well, let's just talk about it right now. We might as well get to it right now. Um, the the great mystery of this character is something we didn't even know. I mean, we didn't even know Grogu was going to be a thing when we were excited for The Mandalorian before it had premiered. Uh, and he you know, was very quickly propelled into the great canon of, of TV icons of an Idiota. age. Like he's like, yeah, he's like, everyone's going to remember the term Baby Yoda, right or wrong for for decades to come. And he, he had so much personality. Uh, I think that just kind of represents, oh yeah, if, if you watch us on YouTube, uh, Ross has a really fantastic Grogu shirt that uh, I'll describe for the for the podcast listeners. It's a, it's a Grogu, like Old West wanted poster. And it says wanted 50, 50 year old bounty, an adorable little picture of Grogu. And it says dead or alive, could be force sensitive. It's a great shirt. It is a great shirt, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Matt saw it on sale on Amazon, so I had to grab it. Um, so so he, I, I don't know where I was going with that, but he's just like, he has so much personality and, and the fact that everybody got talking about the mystery of Baby Yoda, whether through memes or otherwise, uh, just showed a lot of promise for what was to come for Star Wars. Uh, he's kind of uh, emblematic of the future of Star Wars. Um, and, uh, and in this particular sequence, we get to learn that he has this history uh and 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 relationship to the Star Wars that we've previously known, whether we knew he was there or not, it's just so fascinating that he was at the Jedi Temple, or that he has potentially a relationship with with Luke or or Master Yoda, and it's just it it gets so exciting to learn that he's going to be a character and not just a puppet, not just a beanie baby. 
Yeah, and that's and that's why uh, this tangentially is my number one, and I'm not stupid, so I can figure out what your number one will be, and so we can just talk with this one, and we'll talk about the next one, because uh, by in fact it's my number two, so it's a clear balance. Okay. Uh, and so it's uh, it's it's such a great uh, just in general the what I have is my number one is just Grogu becoming a character. Yeah, uh, and it's it's the, like you just said, no longer being the the puppet, but the fact that. Uh, we now have a name, uh, which is something the show, for some reason, hates giving to characters. But it's such a, a it's a it's a nice reveal. It's subtle. I love the way that they do it, and then that kind of bonding moment that he has with Ahsoka. Um, but the in particular, the winning moment is ever it is it's when Din says his name. Yeah, uh, and it's how it's just huh? it's just that immediate reaction and how how. Also, Din loves that at the start of the next episode, just Grogu. Huh? And just every time he says his name, he gets his reaction, he gets a chuckle. Uh, and then he goes in and has his little like, no, no, no. And and how he, he, he it just it, it kills him to have to, to, to give him up at the end. And that's what makes that moment so heartbreaking at the end is, of course, their relationship that this this builds further out. But that's that's really why these like my previous moment with Din becoming uh, a, a more complete character and like these are our two leads and or I mean Grogu it's a little in flux at the moment but they went from being great Star Wars characters to sensational and beloved Star Wars characters and people that we care about and don't want to see leave and don't want to see separated from one another I mean this is these this is one actor and a puppet mm. but we care so much about their relationship yeah. uh, because they've just made it seem very realistic and they've, uh, they've learned about one another uh, and Grogu's protected Din and Din's protected Grogu and Din came back for Grogu. Um, and it, it just, it, it's consistently um, just, it's the overall theme that carries everything forward. And despite the fact that the, the other moment that we're going to talk about when I watched that final episode, um, the thing that stood out to me was was still the final moment that Din and Grogu shared. Yeah, uh, more than anything, and it was the conversations that they had, the fact that they spoke to each other all season, as opposed to Din just kind of like I mean, Din still does talk a lot at him, <laughs> yeah. of course, uh, but the fact that Grogu talks back uh, because Grogu is feeling more comfortable, and we feel we learn more about Grogu's PTSD. And we learn about how he's afraid of his own powers and like doesn't really feel comfortable or even thinks to use them until it's just he's so comfortable around Din that it just his instinct comes out and then he'll use the force because it's natural for him to use the force. It's not natural for him to suppress it, but he has to all the time. And so we learn so much about this character and then he does the meditation and the kind of person who comes looking for him and what he needs um, from from a teacher and the fact that he wants to still maybe learn about the force and the fact that uh he remembers yoda when the two of the, the him and ahsoka share a smile does he uh, does he kind of react specifically to yoda uh yeah when she mentions yoda he looks up and then oh, ahsoka smiles sure. and so it, it shares that wonderful moment and then, of course the one that grogu has with r2 uh and then i think another thing that was incredibly important that you said colin for the next 1000 years of star wars storytelling they can give us Grogu. Yeah, yeah, he can be around forever. I Grogu, mean, there is no reason you do not make Grogu 
as important to the galaxy as Yoda was right. for the previous thousand years. Now, give him a happier end, please. Yoda is such a sad and tragic figure. Yeah. Um, but the the wisdom that a character who is who is that smart, um, but clearly we're gonna likely in the end will be raised with good family values and will learn the importance of of letting go. And I showed you a really cool cartoon, uh, uh, on, and you can find it kind of online, just uh, of like a kind of an imagined future Grogu. Uh, kind of reflecting on his relationship with Din and learning how to let go. And the fact that Din lets Grogu go in the end of this, he he lets him go off to Luke. And that was an important thing for Shmi to do for Anakin. Uh, and so as long as Grogu doesn't come back to see Din die, uh, then this is going to be a very uh, good thing for Grogu yeah. about his fears of attachment and loss. And you can build that into a really strong character that we're going to know from the bottom, like from the start of his life all the way up to the end. And so you can have someone who's as cool as Yoda and as wise as Yoda, but we don't have to lose the mystique of our Yoda. So we get someone who is like Yoda and as wise as Yoda, but we get to know why they're so wise through all these years. And that's so exciting for the future of Star Wars storytelling because we also all love Grogu. Well, it's also why I don't really feel that nervous about the eventual reunion of Din and, and Grogu. It's going to happen, exactly. guys. Like, don't yeah. worry about it. Like, it's the show's called The Mandalorian. The lead characters are the two M Mandalorian. <laughs> you know, they're 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 the dad and his son. It's going to get back together. There's no yeah. reason why tragedy has to to befall one of them before that happens. Doesn't mean it's going to be all sunshine in the, in the in between. Mm -hmm. Um and it was we had been talking quite a bit about how there was a, a probability that there would be a separation at the end of this season. And uh yeah. we thought it would happen and then we kind of got subverted and it still happened. And so yeah. uh it's fine. It's interesting. I think you were also the one who brought it to my attention that if and when Grogu eventually speaks, there's no reason he should speak the way Yoda does. Which will be jarring. I mean, it'd be jarring to hear him speak words at all. Um, but he should speak very, very. And my guess is that will be what it is. Is that way that? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but just my guess is that will be the way that they can keep the character moving forward. Is that Din barely speaks. Yeah. And so this character will just say so few words. And that will be the thing that allows this character to have poignance. They will just say so few things. Well, except there's a possibility that when he and Din are reunited, he is much older and different it's very possible that he has upgraded or he has like, or he is, it doesn't mean he won't still love uh, Din and Din likewise, but like he might have grown and matured uh, pretty extremely. So. No, I, I would just, I just, I don't think so. In, and I think he will, but I think it's, I don't think Luke can know enough. I think Luke can have the ability to help him unlock what he's previously learned but I don't think I, I think that's mostly like I don't think I don't think they're necessarily I don't think Grogu needs to be gone for like several years, and I don't think that they'll have him go through like a like uh, like a tadpole to frog type metamorphosis uh, while he's away from us per se, and so he may grow a bit, but. I don't know if uh, I don't know if they would give him the ability. I don't know if they would age him that same way. So I think we'll maybe see some differences certainly in him. But I don't know if we if they would do that. I think that I think people would feel weird about that if he came back and yep. he was not the same Grogu at all. It would be delicate for sure. There's, I think it's very possible the show does a a time jump. Like they yeah, but at the same time, yeah, that that is true. And if you do a time jump, when are you doing the time jump? 
and then it's a matter of do we have him before you do the time. So there is a lot of things in there that um, we won't know until we see season three. That's right. Or, or at least start season three. So and then my number two and your number one, I'll let you introduce it. Are you sure? So I'm going to guess it's the same one. So yeah, go well, well, except for that, we might have picked like slightly different facets of it because in particular, obviously a season highlight, uh, one of the great Star Wars highlights of, of the modern age is of course, is the return of Luke Skywalker. But yeah, in particular on my list, my favorite, my favorite thing is Ignite the Green it is, is the the first reveal that it is Luke's green lightsaber. And I, I've said my, my piece in the past about how that particular weapon is, uh, is something I'm quite partial to. Um, there's a whole sequence of, of uh, things that you get to witness as that begins to happen slowly. And as such, there's this sequence of like cardiac moments that occur because you realize pretty quickly what's probably happening and then mm. and then slowly you start to realize what's what's definitely happening and one of the transitional moments is is the first sight of the green lightsaber now we can we can discuss until we're blue in the face or until we're pixelated in the face whether or not his eyes look dead or they could have done better with the deep fake or it kind of doesn't matter um he is the luke skywalker that Yes. Regardless of what your your thoughts on the Last Jedi were or, or whatever, I'm pretty sure we can all be in agreement that the Luke Skywalker, with his hood up, with that green lightsaber, walking to rescue the good guys, is the Luke that we we left in the '80s and we've been we've been hoping to see again someday. And uh, the fact that it was a surprise makes it all the more emotional. Um, it, it was just, it's one, frankly, one of the great TV moments of an age. And I wish I could experience it again for the first time. Yeah, it was incredible. It was, uh, five o'clock in the morning. And I, when that X-wing flies on screen and it's old, white and janky, uh, and just a little red stripe and Kara makes the joke like, oh, one, great. One X-wing we're saved. A la... You just want me to go and face the first order with my laser sword. It was, it was just so obvious who it was. And it was just, well, not so obvious, but in the same way. And like you said, and then the dominoes that happen of the, the each one thing, like, yes, there's the X-Wing. Then there's the black cloak, which is not common for a Jedi, but we know it's a Jedi because boom, there's a lightsaber. Right. Boom. It's green. Boom. There's a belt. Boom. There's the hilt. And then of course the door opens and then the hood reveal. Um, the, the the winning element of it for me of it all was the fact that it was so much the anti the exact opposite um but so similar to vader's moment in rogue one right and so vader is slaughtering people it's a hopeless moment and vader does not get what he wants he doesn't get what he comes for uh it just ends in death and destruction um and it ends and like vader's got like his, his saber and he illuminates it in the dark and luke is kind of the same way but luke is killing lifeless droids to save a little kid uh and he is the luke skywalker we know and love and vader is the vader that we know and love but in both instances it's them marching through a hallway in a way that uh we have always imagined but never got to see uh and both moments are it's it's so great to have them as that father son mirror, uh, and the fact that it's it, it's Luke and it is the same Luke. It's that voice. And uh, are you a Jedi? I am. Well, and just it, it feels great to. I was I was happy it was Mark Hamill, uh, and it was just overall 
such an exhilarating, exciting moment, despite the fact that it was coupled with such a sad one. I, I mean, I, I kind of only only half agree. Like, I, I realize I just said that, hey, it's the Luke that we've been hoping we would get to see again. But in a way, it's a Luke we've never seen. And it kind of mirrors what I just said about, about the possibilities for Grogo's future in that uh, a character can mature in a relatively short period of time because it is Mark Hamill's voice and it's, it is Mark Hamill's face. And it is the... The, her the heroism that we know he's synonymous with, but it doesn't have exactly all the personality that we're most accustomed to with the character of Luke, especially a young Luke. Um, he's wiser. He's, he's, well, he's wiser, and he's he's much uh, more stoic and placid uh, yeah. be because of the Force, and that's, we, that's easily wrote within the show. We understand why that is, and there's no room for him to be, like, whiny or nervous in this, mm. in this moment, but it it does kind of separate the two versions of the character. It does. And I think it would have been a mistake to not have him be this way. Yeah. I think it, it shows, and because he, he is separated in each of the original trilogies and it shows a bit of a progression. I would have been okay if he would even wasn't wearing, you know, like the same robes from five yeah. years he ago. Looked, I looked at that. Kind of okay with that. Yeah. Um, it could have been a slightly different color, but like, uh, obviously I'm, I'm joking on that point. One thing that was kind of interesting, and uh, I've, it's been mentioned on a couple podcasts, uh, and it's great because I, I, I only played the Battlefront uh, the campaign of the video game uh, Battlefront 2 uh, once, and I didn't finish it, but I did get to play the one Luke Skywalker mission. Uh, and it's a really cool, uh, it, it's just a mission where you're Luke Skywalker and, and you help out some guy uh, in the Empire. Uh, who is trapped and you, you save his life. And then he's kind of like, well, why'd you save my life? Uh, and, and you killed all those other stormtroopers. And he says, because you asked, mm. they shot at me. They gave me no other option. And so it's just, it, it was like, it was this Luke, he says very few words, but he's very stoic and he's very smart, but he's in the midst of his like searching for like items and it's, it falls around this same time period. And so I thought it was really interesting to see the, the similarities there and the fact that there, it's very consistent and it's very consistent with, with Obi-Wan the centered Obi-Wan that we find in A New Hope. And that is the Jedi that Luke is trying to be the most like. Yeah. This was a hermit. This was a guy who lived off on his own, didn't really talk to people, uh, and just did his weird force thing. Uh, and Luke is just trying to learn. And he's trying to learn and not make those same sort of mistakes. And so he's he's staying back. He's not getting involved in the in the the big hubbub of everything. And he's leaving uh, the galaxy up to his sister. And uh He's going to work on the force and chill with Laura Santeca until uh, Ben Solo is ready to train. So obviously it's a lot of work to put together a Luke like this. Uh, as amazing as the technology is, it's not something they can do flippantly. What are the chances we're going to see him again in this show? I think he has a chance of coming back in this show um, just because Grogu will likely come back. Right. Um, I, I would be curious like maybe they will try and have him come back for whatever large event occurs that unites these other kind of shows when there's going to be an event like an event uh that involves ahsoka rangers of the new republic and uh mandalorian uh, some crossover event maybe luke skywalker will be involved in that because maybe it'll be a few years out and they believe the technology will be ready um, if you're okay switching to news, I can kind of do a little bit of a theory that I have and then we'll transition with that one. I, I'd uh, love that. And, yeah. Let, let, just, uh, if anybody has any that, that we missed anything that they'd like to add, we'd, we'd love to hear it because obviously yeah, I guess, we're um, big fans. Yeah. I'll, I'll mention this when we, when we can do uh, just like a really quick, um, 
Or did you have any other honorable mentions? No, I, we covered so much good stuff in the season. Yeah, uh, the only other honorable mention that I would have was um, that I really wanted to say was Bo-Katan. Bo-Katan sure. showing up uh, when Mando was so, 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 so screwed and Grogu was eaten. And it was just such a cool moment the way that they raided that bloody ship. You're right. And we talked a lot about the actualization of theoretical characters or like the, the, yeah. bring, the bringing that's, them That's to why them, I felt better about leaving this one off. Because, putting them on the main stage. But you're right. She deserves a mention. Absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and in particular, um, she was so hateful, but in a really good way in, in the season finale. Uh, but that episode, Bryce Dallas Howard did such a kick-ass job. Uh, and if we talked about the season in terms of highlights of directorial achievement and cinematography achievement and writing achievement. I mean, we can go on and we could easily do that. And we'd have another six we could easily talk about as well. That's right. Um, and then, of course, the one other thing was I did like when uh, Din um, had to trade uh, his jetpack for Grogu and, and killed the guy. with. with <laughs> yeah, that was so there. good. That, that was, was amazing. Classic moment. OK, you want to transition to the news? Yeah, just this kind of little fun theory I was thinking about. And so there's the a droid story, which is going to be coming out on Disney Plus, And it's supposed to be. Uh, a collaboration between ILM and um, Lucasfilm Animation. And so it's some form of like, new heightened animation. And it's a droid story with 3PO and R2 and a new, and a new hero. Um, I was thinking, what if this is... Because first of all, it's the fact that it's a new type of animation is very exciting, and that's absolutely what Star Wars should be doing. It's experimenting with technology in the medium. Um, but what could that allow for? Something that is a, a like that brings animation and live action closer together with CG and kind of merged in all those things. We're just talking about how do you actualize Luke Skywalker? Well, the best voice actor on the bloody planet, or one of them, um, and something that merges live action, ILM and CGI and all of the high quality visual effects and live action capabilities that Lucasfilm has with their animation department. Imagine what kind of new animation they may have in store for us. What yeah. if this is Droid Story is a trial run for a whole new type of animation that could unite video games and animated tv cool. into a singular looking medium that'd be so awesome everything in video games and this tv show or new movies or however they're done they all have this uniform look or you can build not necessarily if maybe there's there's some level of realism that you want to play with and, and don't go with and, and some more exaggerated effects but what if this is a new way to just elevate the storytelling medium entirely uh and now you've got mark hamill excited about star wars again uh, it's an opportunity. Maybe you get Anthony Daniels back so that he's, uh, and, or maybe uh, Billy D. Williams, because we know that he was looking for Oshia Bastoon with um, Lando. And so, like, this is a whole other opportunity for you to recast Han, recast Leia, recast Ben Solo, have them look exactly how you want, and not have anybody give you shit about how they look. But you get Mark Hamill's voice, you get Luke Skywalker in his prime, you can set this at like you can set this Whatever at you want. Mandalorian time period. Yeah. You could set this five years before The Force Awakens or anywhere in that time period. It blows the immersion opportunities wide open. VR, you go into that mindset. If you're creating a, just a new way for people to digest Star Wars, 
the opportunities are endless, especially if people can accept that and are accepting of these other mediums, which they so clearly are. It's a really nice idea. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't sound any less complicated though than uh, CGIing someone's face onto someone else's body, which in fairness, Luke, for example, does kind of look like a video game character. And if, if the whole world around him matches that texture, then maybe it would be a little bit more accessible. Um, yeah. So yeah. And also it, it expands what you can do. And maybe there is elements of mocap or, but I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but the value the Clone Wars brought to Star Wars is not lost on Lucasfilm. No. And this droid story seems like too interesting of a project to be anything other than an experiment. And they seem to be dramatically undervaluing the power of video games, especially among Star Wars fan type people. Oh, absolutely. That, there's something, uh, and we'll use that as another transition piece because um, the High Republic had a big, announcement as well and so no video games were announced for the high republic but that's an era where the jedi are in their prime and they're like u.s marshals for the galaxy like come on that is prime video game opportunity yeah. and also you have free storytelling reign where you don't have to get the same level of um approvals for the skywalker timeline uh these authors are currently working in kind of their own little corner of the timeline that allows them to be able to have a little bit more flexibility for this exact reason, something that handicaps the video games. So totally agree on that. Uh, it would be nice to see uh, more video games be introduced, uh, but the High Republic era is looking really cool. The books are getting phenomenal reviews uh, from the early people who have read them. So that gets me really excited. Uh, Claudia Gray, who's one of the better Star Wars authors, uh, she, probably the best Star Wars author at the moment. Uh, she's working on a secret project for them as well. So that's good uh, that she's the one who is working on that. Uh, and she has, she seems to, her and, and Kevin Scott, another good Star Wars author, seem to be doing some of the bigger projects, which is good. Uh, there's three phases, uh, Light of the Jedi, Quest of the Jedi, and Trials of the Jedi. And so it'll be interesting to see how, whether this is done in like kind of a short time burst or if this will cover the whole High Republic era because we know like Leslie Headland's show will be taking place at the end of the High Republic. So in that 50 to 100 years prior to the Phantom Menace. And so it'll be interesting to see if the High Republic era that they're currently working on is, is just the 200 years prior to the Phantom Menace, uh, or if uh, these phases are more large chunks of time or as opposed to just maybe phases of story. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yoda, apparently uh, he, uh, he looks, he's looking pretty good. Apparently he's got a bit of a crew though. Now he, he doesn't just go out on his own. He's not uh, just hanging up by himself and meditating. Uh, he does teach a lot of children, but he also works with other Jedi. Uh, and so he's not as much of a, of a lone uh, wolf staying back in, uh, in the Jedi temple, which is kind of cool. And that's in what? Uh, in, the, in the high Republic. Oh, era. I see. Okay. Yeah. And so these are in the novels um, and the graphic novels. Uh, magazines and um, comics. Uh, and then there's also the Drengier, which is like a dark side plant, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and it's kind of like it uh, almost like a physical manifestation of the, like the virus like elements of the dark side. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's like animated itself by the dark side. I don't know. It, it seems very mysterious and kind of intriguing. Uh, and the the good reviews that people are giving these is 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 really encouraging um, for just what they can do in different eras. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's a bunch of cool some cool titles of the Monster of Temple Peak, uh, Out of the Shadows, The Edge of Balance, 
uh, and the race to crash point tower. Uh, so some of them are very like YA titles, I love um, it. but some of them are really great titles. Uh, yeah. I love the monster of temple peak. I think that's a cool ass title. Yeah, these sound <laughs> it's like... a YA ish title, but it's also super star Warsy, which all of their titles are YA ish. Well, that's right. And also I kind of think it has more of a Hardy boys aesthetic to it. I think it's, and so does the other one you mentioned. Oh, I was, I guess I was going more on like screech owls was like, or <laughs> what a pull. Yeah. I know I was going with the Canadian Hardy boys. Right. Um, but yeah, and I and even like the Edge of Balance, which is actually kind of a, I don't know, better than the Rise of Skywalker. Hey, that's same. That's that's true. Yep. Yeah, that was a, that's a bad time. Not good. Not so good. No. Uh, speaking of movies, though, uh, just an interesting thing we uh, we mentioned before how we still don't know anything about Ryan Johnson's project uh, or JD Dillard and Matt Owens how they had a project and we don't know anything about that. Uh, Leda Calagretis, who was doing the. Old Republic adaptation, and then Kevin Feige as well. And so it'll be interesting to see uh, what other movies, because there's, of course, Patty Jenkins and Taika Waititi, uh, but there are other people that have been said to be doing Star Wars movies. So whenever those will be occurring will be interesting, and it'll be very interesting to see if there's any updates on them coming around the bend. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm starting to feel like the, the Ryan Johnson movie is just like mythologized and will never actually come to be. Very possible yeah. now, especially seeing as how long it's gone without actually happening. Right. Um, Obi-Wan. Uh, so we're recording this on the uh, January 4th, but we'll be putting this out on January 5th. And so it looks, I think Obi-Wan starts on January 5th. So Sweet. Should, Here we yeah, go. So it's, it's uh, getting its recording underway, which means they probably have their cast set. So it'll be interesting. We should get some probably casting news on that very soon then, if that's the case. Uh, Mando season three is pretty much officially coming out in 2022. So it is not going to be uh, Book of Boba Fett and then Mando season three coming out like immediately after like and uh, Book of Boba Fett only being like four. But they do say it's coming out very shortly after that they will start filming Mando season three immediately after Book of Boba Fett, which they are filming now. And uh, it will be coming out soon after. So I would imagine spring 2022. That's which good. Is not too bad. That's not too bad to have to remember when we saw... Uh... I, th- I, I guess it was probably uh, Last Jedi, and then we saw Solo five months later. It was yeah. like uh, to not have to wait that long, although I prefer Star Wars coming out at Christmas time, and in this case, we will have Book of Boba Fett to discuss next Christmas, yes. to not have to wait that much longer before Mando Season 3 afterward will will keep us so energized. Absolutely. Uh, this year, we will have um, Bad Batch, and uh, I'll I'll give that a go. I'll certainly watch that if it's of the Clone Wars caliber and not more like, as long as it's uh not of the resistance age range the resistance I, it, it has its place but it was of a an age range that just it, it was it, it seemed like it started a couple of years below rebels even and so maybe it could have caught up to an age range that would have been more enjoyable but it only ever had two seasons so it never even really came close right uh, but if it's of the close clone wars uh level of uh Star Wars immersion, then uh, I'll certainly be watching that. Uh, Star Wars Visions will be coming out this year as well. And so that's kind of interesting. And those are kind of anime styled uh, Star Wars uh, shorts. And so those could be kind of interesting as to just being very creative, new interpretations of Star Wars. And then, of course, Book of Boba Fett. And so those will be the things that we currently know uh, we're going to be uh, seeing in the in the on the Disney Plus this upcoming year. That's right. Okay, is that everything for the news? Uh, that is everything in uh, the good part of the news. Uh, one real bummer in the news. Uh, I was on the uh, 
read it uh, and I, uh, I saw this the other day and then kind of made the circle news, but uh, Tom Kane, who does the voice of Yoda uh, and the narrator in the Clone Wars, uh, he had a stroke uh, at the end of November. Uh, and uh, so he's, he's, he's still himself, which is great, uh, but he's probably not going to be able to work again. Um, if he, if, I shouldn't say that there's a chance he may never work again, but there's a chance he could, uh, he's doing the occupational or not the occupational. He's doing the, the, what am I, what am I trying to say? The, Rehabilitatory. Thank you. Yeah. The rehabilitation. Thank yeah. you. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's the voice of the clone wars. Uh, and he was uh, Admiral Akbar in the last Jedi. Uh, and he was, uh, in a bunch of other animated things. He's, uh, he's a voice acting, uh, modern legend. Uh, and so he's, uh, he's 58. Uh, he's the age of our parents. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, that's weird. It's yeah. Not, it's, it's not right. It's not fair. Uh, he was beloved in the, he is beloved in the community. And so, uh, people just want him to get better. And so hopefully he can get back to, uh, a, a good normal life for him. And if we're all lucky enough to get him to, to hear him work again, then that'll be great for all of us and, and great for him as well. Um, but just getting him back to having a, a good life would is all that, uh, all that matters. I don't want to make any false equivalencies, but something I've always remembered, uh, was when, uh, Michael J. Fox was doing like the good wife or scrubs or something. It was when he was kind of like doing mm. his, his like victory lap as like an actor that everybody loves. And he was just doing like a lot of TV show appearances and getting getting Emmy, uh, Emmy nominations for them. Something he said was that like, I don't have to stop acting. I just have to play people who have Parkinson's. And I always yeah. thought that was like, I mean, he's famous for his incredible attitude in general. Um, but like, you know, this guy might not be able to do the voiceover for the Clone Wars anymore. Uh, maybe he will, you know, uh, knock on wood. But but say he's not, it doesn't mean like, especially if he has a relationship with Star Wars, it doesn't mean they can't find a way to incorporate him and his his new manner of speaking into a, into a voice role that better suits him. Absolutely. And that's a great way of putting it. Maybe, um, it is a period of civil war across the galaxy. Uh, <laughs> maybe he won't be able to do that voice anymore, but maybe his, his Yoda will still work. Right. And he was the Yoda in the Christmas special, or he narrated that. And I got to watch that over the holidays. And, uh, yes, it was, uh, it, it was it, it was it was kiddish and and we never talked it, about the Lego special. But, yeah, I, I thought it was great. I it thought was, it was exactly what it was what it was it was trying to do, and I I thought it was great. I it was, it was pretty good. Yeah, it wasn't so bad. And, yes. what, and what did you think of the voice actor who played Ray? Because as it turns out, yeah, she was great. She actually had some in the trailer. There, I didn't really think it showed off very well, but like there was a, a couple lines that were bad, um, yeah. or maybe a couple emotions that just. We're like, oh, that just doesn't like you could like we've heard enough emotion from Daisy Ridley being Ray where uh, we can see the difference on certain things. But for the most part, it was excellent. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, the only one that was off putting was just how friggin terrible uh, Finn was. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, but yeah, the emperor was uh, the like, I, I'm not a robot chicken person, but uh, I, I do know the the way that robot chicken had has made fun of the emperor for 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 many, many years. And they have that similar style in, yeah. in the way that they make fun of him. So I thought that was funny the way that they did uh, well, the relationship between him and Kylo Ren and Vader. And I mean, Robot Chicken is stop animation with toys and Lego is a toy. So I, there might yeah. be something deliberate about that choice. Oh, absolutely. And I'm sure there's, uh, I'm sure there are people uh, who have worked on both yeah. uh, because that comes from a place of, 
uh, absurd love. <laughs> and that's the reason this, that's, that's the only reason as to why those things, are, you don't make fun of something that much uh, when you're in comedy because you hate it. You make fun of it because you want to talk about it. Usually, usually that's yeah. right. So there are Unless no uh, like politics, no birthdays for a couple more weeks. So we can stick a pin in that for now. But if you have uh, a list really? of your favorite things you want to discuss in Star Wars, as I said, uh, please do email us recorder66podcast at gmail.com or, or tweet at recorder66. Uh, yeah, one other thing. I just noticed that I, I skipped over it in my notes for some reason. Uh, but the Acolyte did um, uh, rain... Uh, did add another uh, co-development lead with Leslie Headland, and that would be Rain Roberts, uh, as Lucasfilm's vice president of film development. Uh, she helped produce Rogue One, Solo, uh, Rebels, and the sequel trilogy. And yeah. so uh, she's experienced. Yeah. Um, I'm uh, I'm encouraged that there's somebody who's experienced uh, with Lucasfilm properties that's going to be work with Leslie Headland. Uh, everything I've heard from Leslie Headland tells me that she has the right view on Star Wars. So somebody who has got the the lore and understands Lucasfilm is great. Um, I hope that uh, she spent a lot of time on Rebels and uh, has spent a lot of time with Dave Filoni because I do want Dave Filoni to still be the one that checks the boxes to make sure people aren't breaking the rules of Star Wars. Um, uh, Pablo Hidalgo, who is also one of the keepers of canon, has continued to kind of bury himself as just a bit of a of an ass in, in the fan base. And yeah. just, it, it's just not being positive um and just and so so you want to make sure that the keeper of canon and and the right people are making sure that all the boxes are checked but all that this tells me is that uh, they're indeed doing that and so uh, across the board uh, it's so nice when all the news that you're getting in star wars uh, it's just like, oh, okay, that's cool. That's another like great little addition to to get you more excited about something. Knowing that, oh, it's they're either adding in somebody who's either worked on something in Star Wars before, uh, or introduction of new fun people like Timothy Oliphant, like we talked about earlier. That's right. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much. Uh, we'd love to see your lists. Any other thoughts you might have about Mando season two? We probably won't have to discuss it at such um, fine detail for a little while yet. But if you have any ideas for themes, you'd like to see us do top six lists. Of course, we'd welcome that as well. As always, rate and review on your preferred podcast app. And until we are together again, may the force be with you.